This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. It's June 10th, 2022. Thanks for being with us. I'm Kyle Kellums. With me on the phone is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I we had so much rain in Fort Smith. I floated all the way back home to my home place in Lamar, Arkansas. So that's where I'm talking to you. <laughs> where I'm talking to you now, Johnson County, correct? Yep. Yeah, God's country. There that's you right. go. Well, you sound just as clear as if you were in your Fort Smith office. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about some some changes this week. One of them being uh, a a sort of major edifice in Fort Smith that's not going to be around forever. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately, that's true. We don't know when um, it's going to take two to three weeks um, for the demolition permit, but this is for the St. Scholastica Monastery, an almost 100-year-old structure, iconic structure. It's on the National Register of Historic Places here in Fort Smith that if you've lived for any length of time in Fort Smith, you're very familiar with it. But the Benedictine sisters who own it, you know, announced uh, May 10th, I think it was, they were going to tear it down, which left a lot of people scrambling. Um, so there have been several attempts to save it. And, and the sisters kept saying that, you know, nothing works out, nothing's going to work out. We just don't have, we haven't had any good offers. We tried. But what we're learning, Kyle, is that's really not the truth. And I, it's somewhat I hate to say the sisters have lied. Maybe, that's maybe a little too harsh, but we're learning that there are options. And this week we heard from Al Rajabi, and I, I was told that's how he pronounced his last name. If it's not, I apologize. But he's the head of um, Sky Capital Group, and he um, he's the guy that uh, restored, renovated the Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa in Hot Springs, so he knows a little bit about large historic structures. Um, and he said that, um, the monastery, he called it, uh, he said, and I'm using his words, it's in remarkable shape. And in terms of the renovation, he said it was a simple save. Huh. Um, and, uh, he said that, um, he, let me find the quote here. He said, quote, I can personally attest that many developers like myself are interested and could create residual income for decades for the nuns. They could simply lease the property long-term to a developer who will abide by their wishes and ideas for repurposing the building. That's his quote. That's his comment. Um, and again, he's done it. He's been there, done it, put hundreds of millions of dollars into property. But the sisters, uh, through Jennifer Burchett, their communications consultant, essentially said, uh, no, no, we've, uh, they said they've been on a 10-year process to find a viable use. Uh, they haven't found that, so they're they're going to tear it tear it down. And um, so it's it's just a mystery. It, Kyle, it has a lot of folks in town frustrated because they just don't think the nuns are being honest. They don't think they they don't understand why they're so determined to tear down this iconic structure. But it's going to come down. Um, We've been told by the city of Fort Smith that a company out of Catoosa, Oklahoma, DT Specialized Services, has been contracted to tear it down, um, and that could begin that that demolition could begin at the end of this month or the first of July if there is no no change in plans. So, um, 
it as as we've said before, it will take a true Hail Mary to stop this thing from coming down. <laughs> nice. Well, and I know that Stacy Hurst with the you know the State Department of uh, Parks, Heritage, and Tourism has tried to see if there's something right. else. Mayor McGill has weighed in, and so nothing. Yes. And I mean, privately owned land is privately owned land, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, and Rachel Patton um, with Pre- uh, Preservation Arkansas even received a tentative grant, $10,000 grant to conduct, conduct an assessment that would have cost the nuns nothing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just been one rebuff after the next. I know that, I mean, it's, it's we don't know why, but so the land will stay with the Benedictine sisters. So presumably there could be another idea for something to do on the land by them that we don't know about. Yeah, but yeah, who knows? And that's. That is part of the frustration. Is they're just all they get out of the nun uh, out of the nuns is we've looked at other options and nothing is suitable, nothing works, and so um, you guys just need to understand we're going to have to tear it down. Hmm. So um, I, it's again it has a lot of folks frustrated, and um, it just it doesn't make financial sense. You know, the initial thought was well, it's just too financially cumbersome. It's just too much to renovate there's probably too much asbestos in it, whatever but now we've learned from many developers that's just not the case so again it's very frustrating on many levels all right so also uh, somewhat of a change propac which was founded by steve clark and ford smith just before the turn of the century is uh being <laughs> sold yeah. to a dallas company yes um propac um logistics which so as you said, it was founded by Steve Clark in 1999, and he literally just had a phone and a few relationships, and he's built that into a third-party logistics company, warehousing company, transportation, freight brokerage. I mean, they do a lot in the supply, in the whole supply chain network. Man, he's grown that, like I said, from literally a phone working out of a house to having around 1,700 employees at 60 national you know, 60 locations nationwide. So, um, he, and he was not looking to sell the business, but this company, Pallet Logistics of America, you know, took notice. I think after you grow mm-hmm. as he has and been successful, he has, they, they took notice and they finally came back to him and, um, offered him a deal. And so they're, they've closed on it. And you remember speaking of iconic structures, you know, Steve was the one that repurposed the old Otasco building in downtown Fort Smith that oh, everyone right. said couldn't, um, couldn't be saved. And he came in put a whole new steel structure, steel skeleton in it and resaved it. He retains that building that he, that building did not go in the sale. So he's going to keep that building, but he assured me and he's, I've seen other reports that, um, and I've looked at, logistics and they do when they acquire companies they continue to operate as a standalone for the most part so he said that the employment in fort smith will not change um and he says there's even a possibility now he was very quick to note that you know it may not happen but there's a possibility that as the companies grow and the other companies with pallet logistics grow they could add more folks in fort smith because it has you know, lower cost of operations in terms of business, low cost of living for employees. It's got a lot of, according to Steve, Fort Smith has a lot of benefits to uh, an expanding company. So they did not release terms of the deal. We don't, we don't know what that is, but I have a feeling um, 
Mr. Clark did did pretty well out of it. Well, Steve Clark is a young man. That means he's younger than me. Um, and yep. any idea? <laughs> he he's not someone who who is idle. And he does he have any sort of plans on what's next well, for him? Right, right. Yeah, he's not the guy that will go quietly into the night. That's for sure. You, but he also he's going to remain as, mm. as head of uh, Propac CEO, and he's going to take a board position with Pallet Logistics of America. So he's going to remain active, but he's also uh, got other companies. You know, he's behind this Rogers based fire bend. Um, they provide um, proprietary supply chain technology. Uh, and that's really taken off in recent years. So he's, um, and he's still, you know, pushing some of his art um, philanthropy, right. uh, community philanthropy. So I have, um, I, I think the last thing I would ever want to do was to, would be to try to keep up with Steve Clark because I think I would be exhausted <laughs> at the end of the week. All right. Before ProPAC Pro existed, before there was a St. Scholastica building to be demolished, there was a city government in Fort Smith. It, too, is going to see some change. Yeah, you're still the king of the segue. I had no idea where you're going with that. But yes. Um, we have um, some municipal elections here at Fort Smith, or all of the state, but the ones we're talking about now. City of Fort Smith, Director Robin Dawson, she uh, – these are all the at-large positions are up in this round and the mayor seat. So she's being challenged by Christina Katsavis and Carl Nevin. Um, Kevin Settle, uh, Director at-large position six, is being challenged by a guy named A. Drew Smith. I don't know what the A stands for. And Neil Martin, Director at-large position seven, is being challenged by Jackson Goodwin. These are all uh, – in the um, November 8th election, Mayor McGill, who was elected uh, in 2018, our first, the first African-American mayor in the city, uh, he did not get an opponent. So he is, will get another term, get another four-year term as, uh, as mayor. So it's going to be an interesting lineup. We could have three new faces uh, on a seven-person board uh, later this year. That could be interesting. I'm I'm sure it's because of the pandemic, but it seems to me like Mayor McGill got elected for the first time about six months ago. It, it it's funny you mention that. We I just had this conversation recently that I, it just in fact it seems like just a couple months ago he was the state representative, uh, right, representing Fort Smith, and now he's been mayor for four years, almost four years. That's yeah, and you know get elected right before a pandemic that had to yeah. be a lot of fun. Finally, I know that you are legendarily a Dallas Cowboys fan. Speaking of changes, oh, are you now going to change to become a Denver Broncos fan since they're going to be Arkansas-owned, apparently? You know, I, I am, I've always been partial to the Broncos and the Bears because historically, if you look, a lot of the, there's a lot of connection between the Cowboys. You know, Coach Reeves was a former Cowboy, um, you know, Ditka. I uh, was a former Cowboy, so I've always had an affinity for those two teams, for Denver anyway. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure Rob Walton is going to pull me any closer into that affinity. Okay. Well, we'll keep touch on that. Michael, great to talk to you again, and we'll do it again next Friday. Yeah, and welcome back. It's Thank you. to have you back. It's great to be back. Michael Tilley is with Talk Business Politics. You can read about all of this and much more at talkbusiness.net. Talk to you next week, Michael. Terrific Tuesday nights return this summer to the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks. 
The garden will be open with no admission fee from 5 to 8 p.m. each Tuesday, June through August. Picnics are welcome and family-friendly entertainment will be offered on select evenings. More information is available at bgozarks.org. This is Ozarks at Large. As events draw near for the now federally recognized Juneteenth holiday, Northwest Arkansas Community College is hosting a celebration tomorrow. Alongside the guest speaker's music, there will be a live taping of the Undisciplined podcast. That's the podcast hosted by KUAF, Ozarks at Large, and the African and African American Studies program at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with host Dr. Karee Banton and Alan Benson director of student life for NWAC about what audiences will hear at the taping and why NWAC decided to host a celebration. I'm curious as to what you're most looking forward to people experiencing from the event. Well, me personally, I kind of started off looking around what was going on already and Luckily enough, Crystal Bridges had their Dirty South exhibit going on. Music was one of our first sort of instincts, and we reached out to them, and we decided I'm a big music fan. So for me, the most uh, interesting thing is uh, we have the Akeem Kemp band coming. But really, as a community, probably the most interesting thing is we have Dr. Stanton's talk. Because as we started expanding this on up, as I started to talk to the community members, I started to sort of realize that there are still issues here in Northwest Arkansas that I myself were, was sort of, you know, not, not quite as aware of as before, where I was sort of excited about doing an event. I didn't realize there were other issues we could be touching on with this, with this event. I think that leads in perfectly. Dr. Banton, can you give us like a taste of what audiences will hear at the live recording of the Indiscipline podcast and who the, who the featured guests are? Thank you so much. Um, I am really looking forward to this event as a continuation of the celebration of African-American long struggle for freedom and have it um, take place in Northwest Arkansas and especially at NWAC, where we have that an African-American population who, you know, is a part of that institution. As you can see, we have a lineup of events for that day. That includes a lecture by Michael Pierce on Nelson Hackett, who was a runaway enslaved person, a fugitive from Fayetteville, who got all the way to Canada and was the only person to have been, you know, extradited back to the United States. So that's a fascinating way to think about African-American freedom and why Juneteenth is important. And then for my particular podcast that will be taped um, for, you know, our Undisciplined podcast, we will be talking to people who are extending the struggle um, for or the fight for freedom still uh, in Northwest Arkansas. So we will be talking to the Arkansas Justice Reform Initiative, and we will be talking to St. James Food Pantry, um, Monique Jones. So Beth and Sarah from the Arkansas Justice Reform Initiative and um, Monique Jones. And they will be looking at the efforts to tackle mass incarceration in Northwest Arkansas, which is a significant issue here. There's an ongoing project currently to expand 
the jail system to increase the amount of beds in Washington County. Given what we experienced during COVID, the kind of receding of people being put in prison and put in jail, this is uh, especially an important issue, not just for African Americans who are four times more um, incarcerated in Northwest Arkansas uh, than any other group, um, but for other communities such as the Marshallese, such as, uh, you know, uh, Latin Americans and other groups who are also here to also think about. And so in that way, Juneteenth and the continuing struggle for African-American freedom, um, that part is very important. And then we have Monique Jones uh, from the food pantry, which, you know, in this justice work, you know, incarceration is not just um, the only issue. You know, food security is a significant issue, and especially in this region of such affluence and wealth, it is an especially important issue um, that I think gets cast aside. What ideas were running through your head? There's so much when you could, there's so much to talk about as far as the Juneteenth event, the history, Mm -hmm. how it's impact today. I mean, Mm -hmm. how did you nail down these these few topics are what kind of was going through the department's um, mind when these two particular topics were were picked. Well, you know, it's always um, it's it, it was it was a difficult choice. Uh, originally, it was a larger panel, and you know, there are a number of. Uh, other Juneteenth events going on. And so um, I did not want to spread the community so thin. You know, there are other groups who are fighting for uh, justice in Northwest Arkansas. Um, We have the um, Hands Up, um, Don't Shoot, um, Jared Carter. Um, We have uh, uh, Secondhand Smoke, who is also fighting in security, who we've also had on the podcast before, right? Um, We have uh, other groups like the Northwest Arkansas African-American Heritage who are preserving African-American heritage in Arkansas, even though it may not appear on the surface, but we know issues of gentrification and all of that. That's kind of creating that erasure. So Northwest Arkansas African-American Heritage is important in that regard. And those groups are active and doing other things. But um, this is a serious issue because you know, voting is coming up. (laughs) This year, November. Voting is coming up. And so there is a need to really enlighten and educate uh, the community on all of the issues that affect the community, right, that affect the health of the community. And if we are thinking about how we would like Northwest Arkansas to be, we have to consider everyone, right? We cannot just be concerned with the imaginary of the rich and the affluent and the educated, right, and the well-to-do. We also have to very much be concerned with people who are less than and who are, We, I mean, we had people die in the winter in the park from being cold, in Northwest Arkansas. And so I, you know, it was under those conditions that I thought, you know, Monique Jones, who is a candidate, and um, Sarah and Beth, who are actively trying to educate and to get this narrative out there. Why has it taken so long for Juneteenth? That's the million-dollar question. Why has it taken this long for Juneteenth to be recognized outside of Texas in 1980? The struggle 
over America's identity. That becomes a struggle over heritage, over history, you know, um, in terms of whose story matters. And if you cannot recognize the full story of a group of people, then you will continue to dehumanize them. You will not celebrate them. And we will end up with the, the, the issues that, you know, the past dealt us. And so uh, Juneteenth had long been celebrated by the African-American community, right? The keepers of American freedom in small communities, um, have, you know, you might ask an African-American person, and they had long been celebrating this holiday. Of course, for some African-Americans and Black people in general, there was a shame around slavery, just like, you know, the Tulsa massacre, there was a shame around it for a long time. People may not want their children to be burdened by that memory, and so you might move away from it. But I think, um, you know, civil rights and the black power movement, especially where I'm black and I'm proud, you know, people began to revisit that history. And does that recognition carry on? And what does it mean for black communities as far as Juneteenth is concerned and now with its federal recognition? Well, it means that, uh, you know, freedom is an ongoing project. Freedom is an ongoing project. We tend in this country to think that, you know, uh, progress is, is linear. And we know that uh, given the struggles that we have to confront today, that you can take 10 steps forward and five steps backwards, that freedom can progress and it can recede, right? And so what Juneteenth does and what it reminds us is that we have to continue to fight. Alan, I'm going to kick this off to you. I mean, what is NWAC doing also to ensure that this is not just a one-time event, but that Black history and celebrations are more than just this Juneteenth celebration? Thank you. Uh, yeah, even before this, I was talking with uh, in Little Rock, the Mosaic Templars Cultural Center, which when I lived in Little Rock, I would go to every now and then uh, to start bringing activities to NWAC outside of February African-American History Month or outside of June 19th to make sure we're not just hitting these things to, to when, when we're sort of told that we're supposed to, but to really start uh, celebrating the whole entire community uh, of Northwest Arkansas, everybody, all the time, uh, rather than just doing it sort of on these beats that we're like sort of checking off a box, to put it any other way. Uh, but yeah, part of uh, that is trying to bring things all the time. Uh, to NWAC. It's like Dr. Banton said, uh, Freedom's an ongoing project, and NWAC's trying uh, to be part of uh, making that project come to fruition. I'm curious, and this goes for either of you, what has your individual experience with Juneteenth been? And how has that evolved, if it has? Mine is actually, unfortunately, very limited. Uh, I've known of the holiday, but never uh, had a chance to participate in it, never lived in an area that took it seriously and made it a big thing. So that's why I was kind of happy to be part of this now. Um, as I've grown, of course, I, I kind of started this thinking how I think of other events, making it an enjoyable thing. But then reaching out to some folks in the African-American community to like ask what we need to be doing at MWAC to make this an appropriate and meaningful event, my sort of experience grew a little bit from just how I look at Northwest Arkansas to hear what 
uh, the community was telling me how they experienced Northwest Arkansas. Dr. Bannon, I'm curious how that compares to Alan's experience, compares or contrasts um, to your experience mm-hmm. with Juneteenth in Northwest Arkansas. Well, I mean, before I came to Northwest Arkansas, I was in Nashville, and Nashville, you know, is a longstanding, um, you know, black schools, TSU, um, um, Fisk, Meharry, you know, Vanderbilt also has a black cultural center uh, there, too. So Juneteenth was a part of my experience in Nashville, also when I was in school in New Orleans as well. And I went to an HBCU, so come on now, you know, Grambling, uh, you know, learning about Juneteenth, being up there um, in the summertime with that black community who grew up around the university, you know, um, was uh, a blessing and I think um, perhaps a preparation for, uh, you know, what for coming to Northwest Arkansas. Since I've been in Northwest Arkansas, I can tell you what the community has shared with me and the African and African American Studies program about the celebration of Juneteenth here is that there's always been a celebration um, that's taken place in the black community. There's a historic black community here that was in Willow, um, at Willow, um, in the Willow community. And and in recent times, there has been a celebration and um, there's been ongoing celebrations at, at Walker Park, right, that might involve food and music and, you know, paintings and art and, you know, perhaps yoga, you know, <laughs> relaxation, you know, getting rid of the trauma and stress, um, you know, using that day to, to reflect on, 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 on how we can better uh, prepare ourselves for the, the tasks that lay ahead for this continuing um, struggle. Um, but celebrating somberness, reflection, it's not um, fully engrossed in the kind of consumerism and, and materialism that I think um, people recently witnessed. Um, it's, it's, it's not about that at all. It's really about reflecting on that legacy, that ancestral legacy that has been given to us. Yoga in Walker Park certainly sounds like a fatal way to celebrate Juneteenth, let me tell you. Alan, if you and I talk in five years about Juneteenth, what do you hope we'll be talking about? Wow, I I hope we're talking about that uh, NYC has continued to do it for five years uh, and every year that it has uh, grown. And we're talking about how much the community participation has grown. And that NWAC is uh, representing as a safe place for all members of the community. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with Alan Benson, Director of Student Life for Northwest Arkansas Community College, and Dr. Karee Banton, host of the Undisciplined Podcast. That conversation took place in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News studio last Tuesday. The live taping of Undisciplined will take place during NWAC's Juneteenth celebration. That's from 2 until 6 tomorrow. Next week, KUAF and NPR will continue to provide live coverage of the United States House of Representatives hearings into the January 6th events at the United United States Capitol. Coverage scheduled to begin at 9 a.m. both Monday and Wednesday. Tuesday, the Arkansas Department of Transportation will host a public discussion about proposed improvements to the I-49 MLK exchange in Fayetteville. The session is from 4 until 7 Tuesday at the Fayetteville Public Library. 
Proposed improvements include adding lanes to Interstate 49 and Highway 62 and building an I-49 overpass at 15th Street. Those are projects estimated to cost about $50 million. It's June, and that means summer is finally here. Time to kick your feet up, grab some ice cream, go to the pool, take to the friendly skies. And while you take that summer break, we at KUAF know you still want to stay caught up with everything going on in the world. But here's the thing, we can't do that without your support. As our financial year comes to a close on June 30th, we're asking for your contribution to keep the news, music, and entertainment you rely on on the air. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your... So while you're hanging up that out-of-office sign, you can rest assured that KUAF will always be on. Make your donation at supportkuaf.com. And thanks. This is Ozarks at Large with me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, I've missed you. I'm glad to be talking with you Oh, my gosh, I remember you. (laughs) (laughs) Kim and I joked about breaking up with you, but I'm happy you're back. Well, thank you. And um, I'm guessing, even though I had, you know, for a big portion of the time I was away, I had limited access to to cell phone and and internet service, but I'm guessing it's still busy here. Oh, yeah. Okay, let me tell you how busy it is. Okay. We've added a Thursday FYI calendar to our Our Town section. I saw that, Because Thursday is the new Saturday. Uh Uh-oh. Then what's Saturday? I don't know. (laughs) Actually, you're going to tell us what's this Saturday, aren't you, eventually? I will. Yes. (laughs) It's just, oh, it's just. Nuts. It's nuts. (laughs) But there's all kind of fun things going on, and so we're happy about that. Yes, we are. Finally, we have been talking about this, it seems like forever, but it's finally time for Fort Smith Little Theater to open Moon Over Buffalo. Yeah, and and they're unique, right, among the area sort of seasons that this is considered the first of the season in the summer. And they're doing, this is their 75th season. Good for them. So they're doing some revivals of shows that have been on stage there before. Right. And this was on the Fort Smith Little Theater stage in 1999, which was only four years after it was on Broadway with Carol Burnett. Ah. So the premise is that a couple who are traveling stage actors are performing, of all things, Cyrano de Bergerac and Private Lives in repertory Hmm. in Hmm. 1953 Buffalo, New York, and they get this chance at Hollywood stardom because Frank Capra is coming to watch their performance. Oh, interesting. And then hilarity ensues. And this opens... As it does. Yes, as it does. And when does this open? This opens, well... The it's open. opening night was last night. Right. It opens to the public, you know, the general public tonight. Gotcha. 7.30 today and tomorrow, 2 o'clock on Sunday. That's the only Sunday matinee. They only do one of two weekends. And then shows June 15th through 18th. Tickets are $12. And it should be a good time for everybody. 
on stage at Theater Squared is a musical called Miss You Like Hell. It's a new musical. It's a mother and daughter who reconnect because apparently they're not living together. Mom is concerned about the daughter, goes to get her wherever she is, and then they have a cross-country journey. Shows are 7.30 Tuesday through Saturday with 2 p.m. weekend matinees through July 10th at Theater Squared, and tickets start at $15. And then keep your eyes open because Theater Squared is about to do a show called Flex that opens at the end of the month. We have a profile Sunday of the playwright, Candace Jones, who was born and grew up in Dermot. So check on that on Sunday. And then tomorrow... 10 o'clock at the Springdale Public Library is Tommy Terrific's Wacky Magic. You know, it's summer reading time, so lots of programs at the library. Super Saturday, Pirate Dogs of the Sea at 10 o'clock at the Fayetteville Public Library. There's a kid's zone at Twin Springs Park in Asylum Springs starting at 11 a.m. It's a day of free family fun in honor of Pride Month. Rogers Public Library has a weekend movie at 1 o'clock called Jungle Cruise, Maybe The Rock is in that. He is indeed, yes. And how you don't want to miss that. And then there's a Juneteenth celebration from 2 to 6 tomorrow at Northwest Arkansas Community College. And then there's an art walk from 2 to 7 in downtown Springdale that's going to include Gina Galena's giant mushroom, crocheted mushroom. Uh, you say Gina Galena and I'm in. I, I just think she's such a marvelous person and talent. I haven't seen the giant mushroom, but apparently it is quite something. And then there's a forced concert series tomorrow night with Naya Izumi at 7 at Crystal Bridges. Right. And Ultra Suede plays tomorrow night at Rail Yard Live in Rogers. Wow. All and right. then, then, on Sunday, <laughs> Tasty and the Sunshine Band. Do you suppose that's a play on another band? Yes, I would suppose. Huh. Two o'clock at the Fayetteville Public Library. It's part of Mountain Street Stage. If you've never been to Mountain Street Stage, I swear I'm going to start coming to your houses <laughs> and dragging you there because it is the coolest way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Live music in the beautiful new Fayetteville Public Library Event Center. They're trying to get their little cafe open on Sunday so you can have lunch and then have music, which would be super cool. And it's free. Lunch won't be, but the right. concert is. Right. Sunday is also a Statehood Day talk at 2 o'clock at Headquarters House Museum in Fayetteville with Kelly Houston-Jones, who's an assistant professor of history at Arkansas Tech. Excellent. And there's a Youth Pride Community Art Project with Olivia Trimble from 3 to 5 on Sunday at Piggy House Alchemy in Fayetteville. Wow. Northwest Arkansas Playwrights Festival starts Tuesday. And that's going to be a bunch of local playwrights, a bunch of local directors, a bunch of local actors, all of it happening courtesy of the Smokehouse Players at Ozark Mountain Smokehouse in Fayetteville. It's all free, and the donations that you would like to make go to Magdalene Serenity House. And you can find out more by checking last Sunday's edition of What's Up. It's got all the playwrights and and everything you need to know in the schedule and all that. Because there's things you're going to want to see. Get your rest. We'll do this again next week. How's that? <laughs> Lovely. Welcome home. Thank you. It's great to be home. Becca Martin-Brown features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. KUAF is supported by Shiloh Museum of Ozark History, inviting everyone in the Ozarks to explore the museum 
and become part of its story by becoming a member. Members receive a discount on Shiloh store purchases, invitations to members-only events, and reduced fees on workshops and programming. For more information, shilohmuseum.org slash welcome dash home. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973 with backcountry and urban footwear, clothing, equipment, and more. Pack Rat is dedicated to conservation and waste reduction. PackRatOC.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. This week, the Cherokee Nation signed the first transportation agreement between a tribe and the United States government. The Tribal Transportation Self-Governance Program and Funding Agreement will allow the Cherokee Nation to oversee its own road construction and transportation projects. Previously, the nation had to get approval from the U.S. government before completing infrastructure projects on tribal land. Deputy Secretary of Transportation Polly Trottenberg signed the agreement Tuesday with Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. in Tahlequah. She says the new agreement will be a model for other tribes across the country. Thanks to the Cherokee Nation's leadership, every tribe in the country now has a model that it can pursue in its own self-governance agreements. The agreement makes it significantly easier for the tribe to use federal money to fund and manage its own building and construction projects. We have historic funding for tribal infrastructure, including $3 billion for the Tribal Transportation Program, a billion for dedicated bridge investments in tribal lands, and nearly $230 million for tribal transit projects. And I know those are, those are all areas that this tribal community wants to invest in. Chief Hoskins says the compact will help improve the quality of life for many rural tribal members. Connecting so many of the men and women and children who live across our communities to things like health care, to jobs, to school. It comes down to whether those roads are safe, whether people who lack their own vehicle can get public transportation, and in rural communities it's particularly difficult. What it means is that we're going to be better able to save communities that are saving what it means to be Cherokee. After the signing, Department of Transportation officials toured the tribe's new electric vehicle charging station. The Cherokee Nation built the station and acquired two electric buses through a $1.5 million grant it received from the U.S. Department of Transportation in 2018. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A young medical student in Little Rock invented a unique safe tool for capturing snakes. Dr. Lawrence Pilstrom was studying snake venom and its effects in 1953 when he created a device from a broom handle and the coil springs from the back of a refrigerator to capture the dangerous reptiles he needed for his research. He continued to develop improved prototypes for the device, finally patenting his Pilstrom tongs in 1957. While maintaining his medical practice, Pilstrom marketed his Pilstrom tongs at such events as rattlesnake roundups before making them available in hardware stores and later online. He adapted his creation to make tools for hunting frogs, picking up aluminum cans, and pruning trees, among other uses. Pilstrom retired from his medical practice in 1984, but managed his tong firm with his son until his death in 2003. Pilstrom Tongs Company, employing around a dozen Pilstrom family members, continues to manufacture the tools at their firm in Rogers. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large, and guess what? Back together again, Courtney Lanning and Kyle Kellums. You're going to tell us about a new movie. Courtney, first, how have you been the last four weeks? You know, uh, I've been okay. I think Rachel can tell you we, we held the fort down. We did did the best we could, but it's, you know, it's, it's good to have you back. Well, thank you, Courtney. Uh, uh, Rachel said she had a great time and uh, is a little jealous that I'm talking with you again, but 
you know, I'm pulling rank. <laughs> and you've got a very interesting movie to talk about this week. I do. Um, the film is called I'm Charlie Walker. Uh, and for our listeners who were alive in the 70s, they might recognize this is actually a film based on a piece of history with a, a real person. Um, 1971, two oil tankers collided in the Bay Area near San Francisco, and oil washed up on beaches all over that place. Uh, and one, one man, in this movie at least, uh, named Charlie Walker, a black man from San Francisco, uh, overcomes, you know, all sorts of obstacles in his path, and, and he gets himself a beach to clean up, and he does it with, with style and pizzazz and some dramatic effect, and makes a pretty good movie. Mike Coulter is the lead here, and I think he's an incredibly talented, charismatic actor. I cannot disagree with you. Uh, most people will probably recognize him from uh, Luke Cage in the Marvel series on the Netflix shows before we had Disney+. Plus. Uh, he is effortlessly charming and entertaining in this film. I, I would say he makes the movie what it is. So this is based on something that really happened, but it's condensed into two hours. So I imagine there's some artistic license. Does it suffer at all from that? You know, I would say everywhere Mike Coulter goes, mm -hmm. you, you see a good movie. But, you know, some of the side characters, especially the main antagonist who is an oil tycoon played by uh, Dylan Baker. They could be a little cartoonish. Uh, I, I had a little trouble taking especially Baker's performance seriously. But again, everywhere Mike Coulter went, I happily followed. Um, he, he's a great central character for this movie. Now, of course, I am an unabashed apologist for superhero movies. They're, they're something I love. But it is kind of refreshing to have this movie that's not a superhero movie, that's not a reboot, that's not a sequel. It's just kind of a movie about something that happened. Right. This is, this is definitely, you know, historical events, real person. And one of the things I really liked about the movie, uh, they opened with footage of actual beaches from the seventies when the oil spill took place and sandwiched at the end, they have a short clip of an interview with the real Charlie Walker. So sandwiched between all of this is the movie, but you have the real stuff at the beginning and the end. And that, that's a nice touch. Uh, where can we see this? So this will come to some theaters. This is admittedly a smaller release. Um, it's more of an independent film. I don't know what all theaters will pick it up, um, but I assume it will come to streaming and not the too far distant future. And since we are in the summer, uh, a movie like I'm Charlie Walker might not come to a theater because now so many screens are going to be to Top Gun Maverick and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse and the other big ones that are coming out this week. Oh, absolutely. We we are in right in the middle of blockbuster season, which leads us to the other big movie coming out this week, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, which reviews so far have not been kind to. Does it have dinosaurs? It does have dinosaurs. I'm it's, pay uh, to see it. <laughs> it, uh, same here. I will go see it this weekend. Um, you know, they bring back the original cast. You got Jeff Goldblum, and they bring all of them back. And, so. But with the the folks, much of the cast that's been in the last two sort of updated as well. Right. You've, of course, you know, still got Chris Pratt. Yeah. What are you going to talk to us about next week, hopefully? 
So next week I'll be reviewing uh, a new drama coming to Apple TV Plus called Cha Cha Real Smooth. Uh, if if you haven't seen it yet, the trailers are out, and it looks like just a very funny, heartwarming film. Okay, I look forward to that. I am sincere and honest. I have missed our conversations. I love seeing the national parks out west. But Courtney, I'm so glad that we're doing this again. Same here, Kyle. Uh, but, you know, to keep things kosher, be sure to tell Rachel I said hi. I will indeed. I will indeed. Courtney Lanning's full review can be found in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, talk to you next week. Sounds good, Kyle. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. The latest edition features contractors and subcontractors, plus local business news in Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions available at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. This is Ozarks at Large. It's Friday. Let's give something away. And to help us do that, Lee Wood, General Manager at KUAF. Hello, Lee. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Welcome back. Thank you. It is fantastic to be back. Well, we're happy that you're back, too. Uh, we're going to make somebody else happy. Yes, we are. We're going to do it again. We're doing a giveaway. Oh. Uh huh. This week. Uh, so this is for Steely Dan. They're going to be playing at the AMP this evening with Snarky Puppy. And the winner is Deb Ucolano. And so this means Deb gets to go to the show Deb's has, on us. Uh, yep, at plus one. So two tickets are going to Deb, and they're um, seated tickets. They're at Will Call. I'll get in touch with you and let you know about it. But congratulations, Deb. And that show is? This evening. Whoa. All right. Well, change of plans, Deb. <laughs> You're going to go to Seely Dan. We're going to give away some more tickets. We are. So we've got actually um, five pairs of tickets to give away for uh, Frit. Fits. Fits in the Tantrums, uh, co-headlining with St. Paul and the Broken Bones. It's going to be a heck of a show. Amazing. Thursday, June 23rd at the AMP. So, yeah, we've got five pairs of tickets uh, to give away, so there's lots of chances there. And you can go enter to win uh, the giveaway of those tickets at KUAF.com. And that it won't end there, right? We'll have more stuff. Oh, Later. yeah. Okay. Yep. We're, yes. I'm trying so hard to find a Steely Dan pun to make, but I can't do it. Don't lose our number, Kyle. That's the best I can do. <laughs> Lee Wood is our general manager for the time being at KUAF. <laughs> Speaking of music, today at KUAF, our monthly edition of the Lunch Hour, the installment this month featuring the band Honey Collective Food from Cafe Rue Orleans. Now, it's too late for you to take part in this month's Lunch Hour concert, that's taking place in our lobby, but we are early with a sneak listen to what we captured in May's lunch hour. Last month, for a special happy hour lunch hour set in the early evening, we welcomed Adam Fawcett to the KUAF lobby. The video edition of May's lunch hour will be out soon on the KUAF YouTube page, but here are a couple of tracks to give you a preview. Uh, this is uh, kind of an older song. Let's see if I can't mess it up for you. Don't you ask me when you don't want to know How it's been on the darker end of the dates I've come to own Don't you remember all swimming in the old Red Creek Me and you mowed 22 and you kissed me on the cheek 
sin But maybe not die today And all the truly love you've been Traveling with you always Well, I love you, right? Cause I won't ask you Oh, I'm afraid to know How long it's been since you had a friend Possum who will kill the vulture Don't come down Looking for a fool in me I'm not mad or disappointed Got what you need I got what I wanted Don't get up Looking for your man and me so much, man. Right outside of Waldron, no cat, no hat, no cauldron. She's a moonlight slave. She'll make you walk to your grave. And what she wants, she will get. What she wants, she will get Well, I don't want to live forever I will walk the straight and narrow for you, I swear From the Washita witch From the Washita witch She saw me down on Main She laughs at my fear She winks at my pain She won't She won't, she will get Well, I don't want to live her 
Fawcett performing his songs Possum and Washita Witch in the KUAF lobby for our May edition of the Lunch Hour. Look for the video of the full performance and conversation soon on the KUAF YouTube page. This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Sweden Falls. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Karee Banton, Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Mark Chris writes and hosts the Arkansas Encyclopedia Minute. Timothy Dennis produced today's show and the Lunch Hour Session with Adam Fawcett. Our Lunch Hour is put together by Jasper Logan, KUAF's Community Engagement Officer. And thanks to Lee Wood for coming by as well. I will be back with you Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for the next edition of Weekend Ozarks at Large. We'll begin a brand new week of daily editions of our show Monday at noon and seven. Thanks so much for being with us on this overcast Friday. I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again very soon.